Good morning and greetings in the name of Jesus. Good to be here this morning again. I have been blessed. You know, sometimes you all might think that devotions isn't a very important part of the service, but uh, I think it is. I think it's very important because I've often noticed that it kind of sets the tone for the rest of the service, so... God bless you, Don, for your devotional this morning. I thought it went it was a very good um, springboard for the sermon that I'd like to preach this morning. Don talked about life. You know, when you uh, if you go into a graveyard, which I'm sure all of you have already, and you start looking at the tombstones, and there's always two dates. There's the date of a person's birth. And then there's the little dash and the date of their death. But in that that little dash between those two dates represents life, the time that that person lived here on this earth. This morning I'd like to for all of us to think a little bit maybe about the question of what are you going to be remembered for when you die? What, what is the legacy that you are leaving as a Christian? Um, I know that's, that probably shouldn't be our most important focus in life, but I think it's good for us to think about this thing. And I'd like to draw our minds to that this morning. I'd like to begin in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 9. You may turn with me there. Now, probably most of you, when you heard Acts chapter 9, you immediately think of the account of Paul's conversion. And that's certainly a big part of this chapter. But there's, I'd like to look at verses 36 through 42. Acts chapter 9, verse 36. Now, there was at Joppa a certain disciple named Tabitha, which by interpretation is called Dorcas. This woman was full of good works and alms deeds, which she did. And it came to pass in those days that she was sick and died, whom when they had washed, they laid her in an upper chamber. And forasmuch as Lydda was nigh to Joppa, and the disciples had heard that Peter was there, they sent unto him two men, desiring that he would not delay to come to them. Then Peter arose and went with them. When he was come, they brought him into the upper chamber, And all the widows stood by him, weeping and showing the coats and garments which Dorcas made while she was with them. But Peter put them all forth and kneeled down and prayed, and turning him to the body, said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes, and when she saw Peter, she sat up. And he gave her his hand and lifted her up. And when he had called the saints and widows, presented her alive. And it was known throughout all Joppa, and many believed in the Lord. And it came to pass that he tarried many days in Joppa with one Simon a tanner. So this little account here at the end of chapter 9 in the book of Acts, it's, it's probably often overshadowed by more important events that happened in the book of Acts, such as I already mentioned, the conversion of Paul. 
earlier in the chapter and other things that the disciples did. But here this death of this lady who was a disciple of Christ says she was full of good works and alms deeds. And that means that she had compassion toward the poor. It's really at the root of that word alms deeds. But Tabitha or Dorcas, she got sick and she died. The people washed her body. They laid her in her casket, laid her in an upstairs room. They knew the disciples that were with her there. They knew that Peter was in the next town and they sent for Peter and he came with them immediately. Peter went with the men. He came to the room where Dorcas's body was lying and there he was greeted with a room full of widows who were crying and they were showing Peter the coats and the garments and the things that Dorcas had made for them while she was alive. They had brought the coats and the garments that Dorcas had made and they were, they were crying and they were showing them to Peter. They were sad because she had gone. So when Dorcas died, the people who knew her remembered her for her compassion, her caring for others, and they had evidence to show for it. They had the garments with them. They were weeping because they loved her and were going to miss her. Now, Peter went on and he told her to, he, he resurrected her from the dead by the power of Jesus. Praise God for that. But the legacy that Dorcas left is what I would like to think about for you to think about a little bit this morning. You know, legacy is what a person transmits to the people coming after him or her. That is really the definition, the simplest definition of the legacy. It's what you leave for the people coming after you, what you leave for them. It has to do with what you will be remembered for when you die. Now Dorcas was resurrected and she got to live again. She got the chance to continue her works and to continue to define her legacy, if you want to put it in that way. She got to continue to show kindness and compassion. And I suspect that she did just that. I have no reason to believe that she didn't continue in that. thought it was interesting that the word Dorcas, Tabitha, both of them, uh, the, the Greek word means gazelle. That's the definition of it. And uh, I don't know, perhaps Dorcas was a speedy seamstress, a tireless worker. We know what a gazelle is. It's a very speedy, small African antelope of some kind. So uh, they're known for their speed. So maybe that's what Dorcas was all about, working fast. And, and we know she, she was certainly about compassion and kindness to the poor and to the widows. <clears throat> Twelve years ago, yesterday, November 4th, Brother Levi Stolzfus passed away. And most of us here remember him very well. And we still miss him. We remember the things that he left us. We remember how he was ready to go through his sickness. He was never afraid of dying. Rather, he almost looked forward to it. He, he wasn't afraid to talk about it. And there was a sparkle in his eyes when he, when he would talk about it. 
We remember his heart for the young people, how he cared about them, how he took took time to talk to them and listen to them and to their problems. We remember him for giving Smarties to the children after church. Levi has been gone for 12 years, but the legacy he left continues on. You know, we remember him for those things. Now, the question for all of us to think about this morning is if you would die, what are people going to remember you for? I should say when you die, because we are going to die unless Jesus comes again. When you die, what are you going to be remembered for? What are you leaving behind for the next generations to benefit from. Now we know that unlike Dorcas, we're not going to get a second chance to live life. Most likely not. There's two scriptures that I that I that came to my mind that that define who we are going to be or that remind us that we have one life to define who we're going to be. Ecclesiastes 11.3 says, If the clouds be full of rain, they empty themselves upon the earth. And if the tree fall toward the south or toward the north in the place where the tree falls, there it shall be. Okay, so speaking of, I believe, the finality of death. And Revelation 22 verse 11 is the other one. He that is unjust, let him be unjust still. He which is filthy, let him be filthy still. And he that is righteous, let him be righteous still. He that is holy, let him be holy still. So when you draw your last breath on this earth, that is it. Your work is done. Your legacy is defined. It is over. Some of you may have heard this story. I think it actually was read in here before. I'm just going to read read this a little bit of this account here. One morning in 1888, Alfred Nobel, inventor of dynamite, the man who had spent his life amassing a fortune from the manufacture and sale of weapons, awoke to read his own obituary. The obituary was printed as a result of a simple journalistic error. Alfred's brother had died, and a French reporter carelessly reported the death of the wrong brother. Any man would be disturbed under, under the circumstances. Imagine waking up and reading your own obituary. But to Alfred, the shock was overwhelming because he saw himself as the world saw him. The dynamite king, the weapon maker, that's what they, that's what they described him as, the great industrialist who had made an immense fortune from explosives. This, as far as the general public was concerned, was the entire purpose of his life, so said the obituary. None of his true intentions to break down the barriers that separated men and ideas were recognized or given serious consideration. He was quite simply, in the eyes of the public, a merchant of death. And for that alone, he would be remembered as he read his obituary with shocking horror, he resolved to make clear to the world the true meaning and purpose of his life. This could be done through the final, 
disposition of his fortune. His last will and testament would be the expression of his life's ideas, and the result was the most valued prize, the most valued of prizes given to this day to those who have done most for the cause of world peace, the Nobel Peace, the Nobel peace Prize. That caught... <clears throat> that's all. I think that's as far as I read. So all of you have heard of the Nobel Peace Prize. Alfred Nobel was the one who started the Nobel Peace Prize. He is not... We don't, we don't remember who the inventor of dynamite was, but we, we know about the Nobel Peace Prize. Now, I understand the, you know, we could call into question the, the validity of the Nobel Peace Prize and what that's all about and how, how, how much does that merit towards eternal value and so on. Probably not very much. But the point is this man woke up, read his obituary, and decided that's not how he wants his life defined. And so he did something to change it. Um, we can learn a lesson from that. We can think about how people are going to remember us. We can think about what we think is important in life. And we can make decisions that will change that today because we are still alive. The tree has not yet fallen. Now, when we read the news about famous people, celebrities who are alive today, the focus is on their accomplishments. It's on the amazing things that they have done, the milestones that they have achieved, the, the awards that they have received and won. You know, that, that's generally true whether it's a sports player or a famous singer or a, a politician, a president. We talked about the president a little bit in Sunday school this morning if you're if you're one of these people it, it's all about life is all about cementing your legacy that's kind of a phrase that we hear sometimes especially about the presidents establishing who you are polishing your reputation doing things to assure that you will be remembered as a great individual seeking the honor of men now, I want to be clear, that's not what I'm talking about this morning. My objective is to help each of us think about our lives, how our lives are influencing the people coming behind us, coming after us, our children and our grandchildren, our church brothers and sisters, our community, even beyond that. Jesus wants his people to influence the entire world, right? Jesus said, ye are the salt of the earth, ye are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Each of us have been commissioned by Jesus to make a difference in the world. So this is not so much about cementing our legacy as it is about influencing the world for the power of the kingdom of Jesus Christ. The cementing our own legacy is not the way of the kingdom of heaven. We are called to lose ourselves and our identity is in Jesus. Our goal is to lift him up, to lift up Jesus and him crucified to the world around us. And, and perhaps there is no greater example of this than the apostle Paul. He said in, in 2 Timothy chapter 4, he said, I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. 
Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me in that day, and not to me only, but unto all them that love his appearing. Paul was able to look forward with confidence. He said, henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of life. He could look forward because he could look back with confidence knowing that he had expended himself for the sake of the gospel, knowing that he had done what he could to influence the people for the kingdom of Jesus. The scriptures are full of examples of men and women who have left a legacy for us. And the Apostle Paul surely is is one towards the top of that list of being the most influential Why? Because he was willing to give himself, to expend himself for the kingdom of heaven. And and we don't need to list all of the things that we are still benefiting from, the scriptures that he wrote and so on, the example that he left, the churches that he established. Thinking about the many men and women in the Bible who have left a legacy for us, what was it that made them influential are there, I was asking myself this question, are there common characteristics or themes, principles, basic principles that were generally a part of their lives, a part of these people, that they were able to leave such incredible legacies? And I'm thinking of men like Noah and Abraham and Joseph and Moses and Joshua and Elijah, David, the apostles, I think there was some things in place in their lives. Um, few things that came to my mind. Faith, first of all. Hebrews 11 tells us this. It says, you know, it gives us the, the list of these great men and women. And, and every one of them, it says, um, it tells us what they did. Every one of these men and women in Hebrews 11 believed what God told them and acted on it. Every one of them did something that proved that God, that they took God at his word and believed in their heart that what he said is what would be. It wasn't just a a belief in their heart. It came out in how they lived. That's really what true faith is. We'll see that in the book of James as we continue our study in Sunday school. The Bible says also in the book of Hebrews that without faith it is impossible to please him. Also says he that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. And so faith is a vital part of our lives This morning, Brother Don said that life is connection with God. And I I just appreciate that definition. Isn't that what faith really is? It's, It's believing God. It's knowing Him. It's connecting with Him. That's what gives us life, spiritual life. So that must be a part of our lives if we're going to make an impact, a lasting impact in the generations after us. Second thing that I that came to my mind was the concept of having a pure heart, clean, clear, and true motives. 
No hypocrisy, no show, no ostentation, no putting on, no facade. Jesus said when he was talking in Matthew 5 of those great things that are going to be part of the character of the Christian, the people of his kingdom, he said, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. God has always hated and always will hate hypocrisy. James says a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. And somebody who is living a double life or hiding things, not living out of a clear, pure heart and motive, is not going to leave a good legacy, is not going to make a, a good impact for the next generations. Somebody that came to my mind in recent history is, is Ravi Zacharias. Ravi Zacharias has done a lot of good things. Produced some very good work. And I don't think we need to discredit it all, but you know, when, when the things came out about his life, was it, was it right after he died or was it right after he died? You know, that, that was troubling. That, that was a blight on, on everything that he has done as far as I'm concerned. Because he was hiding things in his life. And that shouldn't be. That should not be in the people of the kingdom of God. The other thing that I thought about, and, and you can add many things to this list. This is just a few that I thought of, is courage. Many examples of courage in the scriptures. People who were willing to put their lives on the line. You can think of Joshua and Caleb standing up to the other ten spies saying, we are able to do this. They were courageous. They, didn't, they weren't scared of those giants. They knew that God is going to help them. We could think of David and him standing up to Goliath. He was, you know, in, in man's eyes, David did not have a chance. He went with courage. Elijah he stood against King Ahab. He was willing to tell him the truth. He risked his life to do that. John the Baptist ended up losing his head for telling Herod just what he needed to hear. So sooner, in sooner or later in life, we will experience things that have the potential to bring fear and to make us fearful. But if we like these examples of men and women gone before us are willing to meet these things with courage and hope, we're going to leave something valuable to those coming after us. Second Timothy chapter 2, verse 7 says, For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. God has not given us the spirit of fear. He's given us courage, hope, power, and sound mind. In Revelation 12, 11, they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony and they loved not their lives unto the death. Courage to face, to do what God asked them to do even in the face of death. Now I don't have the experience that some of you have had in walking with loved ones through the journey of dying in the little experience I have had, my sister Carolyn being the most recent one, 
my grandparents, I was, you know, somewhat a part of their journey, their last years. Um, Brother Levi, I mentioned before, Brother Chris Dash. Every one of those people in my life faced death with courage, without fear. So the courage to face death with calmness, with rest, with hope in Christ is a legacy that has been given to me. It's been handed down to me. And that's I want to pass that on to my children, to the generations coming after me. I'd like to turn to Psalm 78, read a few verses there. Psalm 78. Give ear, O my people, to my law. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings of old, which we have heard and known, and our fathers have told us. We will not hide them from their generation, showing to the generation to come the praises of the Lord and his strength and his wonderful works that he hath done. For he established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers that they should make them known to their children, that the generation to come might know them, even the children which should be born, who should arise and declare them to their children, that they might set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments. And might not be as their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation that set not their heart aright, and whose spirit was not steadfast with God. In this little scripture here, there are four generations depicted here. First of all, in verse 3, it says, we have heard, and then it says, our fathers. So that's two generations, right? It's us and our fathers. And then down in verse 6, it says that the generation to come, that's the our children, our generation coming after us, we're three generations now, even the children which should be born, who should arise and declare them to their children. So now we have four generations listed here in Psalm 78. And so the picture here is of a continuity of passing on what God has given to us. And there's three, three things here that I'd like to, to notice that the psalmist tells us to pass on to our children, things that should be part of our legacy. First of all, he says in verse 1, I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings of old, which we have heard and known. We have learned them from our fathers. Uh, parables and dark sayings of old. What, what are the, What's he talking about? I was thinking about that a little bit. I, and and I, we know that he's not talking about evil things by dark things, but rather I think he's referring to obscure things or things that aren't readily available, things that you can't get on Google, right? It's, it's, they're not easy to find. And there's, there's things that, there's practical applications, I think, that we can make to this. You know, all of us have had Things happen to us. We have personal stories and experiences, things that we have learned in life. 
the people coming after us need to hear those things. They're not going to find that on the internet. Your children aren't going to find that. They need to hear it from you. You need to sit down with them and talk to them and tell them your stories. All right, so personal stories and experiences. Perhaps it could be the biographies of men and women who have lived before us, long before us, uh, you know, who are almost obscure, almost hidden, and yet there's rich lessons that we can learn from them. Writings from our faith heritage, perhaps. I thought about, you know, books like the Osborne and the Martyr's Mirror. I, you know, I'm thinking about my own home. Those things have almost become dark sayings of old in our homes sometimes. And maybe we need to dust off the martyr's mirror and start reading them to our children. So there's other things I'm sure that we could add to that. But first of all, he says, I will open my mouth in a parable, a story, and I will show them dark sayings of old. Um, let's sit down with our children Sit down with your grandchildren, you older ones, and tell them about your life. Tell them what happened to you. Tell them about your heritage and why you appreciate it and so on. And then he says, we will not hide them from their children, showing to the generation to come the praises of the Lord. Take time to point out the things in life that honor and glorify God. The maybe it's the simple things like the sunrise or the rainbow after the storm, the beautiful things of nature that evidence that are evidence of our creator. Sometimes we forget how beautiful some of the ordinary things of life really are, and we really need to stop and think about how God has given us those things and point them out to our children and the generation. I think that's important that we acknowledge the praises of God, the things that glorify and honor Him. I think I mentioned this before already, but in the Calvary Messenger, I don't know if you all get this or not, um, Carol Nisley has a, a monthly column in the Carol, Calvary Messenger right now. Um, the, the title of the, her column is, I Saw a Beautiful Thing. And it's usually, it, it probably takes two minutes, maybe less than that, to read it most times. This is the November issue. This is what she wrote. I saw a beautiful thing. The title is Crummy and Serene. We sat next to a large window in a foyer swarming with people busily catching up with each other. She wore black, accenting her large dark eyes, which glistened with tears unshed, her toddler, rosy cheek from a recent nap, perched on her lap, happily enjoying a snack. The crumbs fell from his hands onto her dress, stark against the black. Satiated, he soon wandered off, toddling through the crowd of adults. Her eyes followed him, aware, but restful in her mothering, and our conversation continued unbroken. The crumbs lay on her lap as we talked of what lay on her heart. I admired this woman's serenity. Blessed is the woman who attends to the state of her heart and not only her appearance. That, my friend, is a lovely thing. And she has one of those 
in every every month in the Calvary Messenger, where she she does just that. She takes a very simple little ordinary thing, and she reminds us how it's a beautiful thing. It's something that blesses God. That's I believe what we could apply to telling to pointing out to our children the praises of the Lord. And then it also says his strength and his wonderful works that he hath done. And again, I'm going to just personalize that for every one of us. The wonderful things that God has done for you. What is God doing in your life? Do your children know the story of your journey, your faith, your conversion? Are you telling them what God is doing in your heart right now? And I'm convicted about that. I really am because I, I know I could do so much better. Perhaps as we think about this whole concept of people remembering what people remember about us or leaving a legacy, we, we think we could ask the question, but what about all the mistakes I have made in my life? I think of the example of David. David is another man in the scriptures who left a legacy uh, like not many others have. But he also made some mistakes. So David went as a young man and he killed the Goliath that every one of the warriors in Israel was terrified to approach. David said, I will go. And he went. And he used his skill with a slingshot and he put Goliath down without knowing that God was with him and that God was going to help him. An incredible part of the legacy that he left for us. And we love that story. But you know, there was a, another time later on in David's life after he was king for a while and uh, we know the story how he saw Bathsheba and this time... Perhaps it was a giant that conquered him, the giant of lust. And he fell and he sinned before God. And that's part of his legacy. It's written in history. It goes down as part of his history, as part of his legacy. But you know, that, that mistake that David made, that sin that he committed, he didn't let it derail his life. When Nathan came, the prophet, and and told him that he needs to repent and gave him that little parable, David responded. And he confessed his sin and he repented. Beautiful um, words of Psalm 51 that David wrote in response to that. And that became a part of his legacy. Rising from that mistake and, and going on and repenting you know, that, that needs to be a part of all of our lives. None of us here are perfect. We are going to make mistakes. There's going to be things that we wish we wouldn't have done in life. But we can repent and we can move on. That needs to be a part of it. The mistakes that David made affected his life. It affected his family. God told him that because you have done this, the sword is never going to depart from your house. And we know the trouble that followed out of that. And it tells us also that David, um, he neglected his sons. He didn't take enough of time for them. And so 
as great of a man that David was, there were still things in his life that did play in to the legacy. And I, I think it's important for us as the people of God to remember to not make the mistake of thinking that the great things that we do for God are going to make up for the things that we may be de- neglecting. You know, everything, every, impo- every decision that we make, every, everything that we do is going to play in to how our lives are going to be remembered, to our eternal destiny, really. And, and we, need not, we can't make the mistake that, that the great things we do, some of those smaller things, like David being the father that he should have been, won't matter because it did matter. It did matter. It does play in. Now, one of the things that is so important in this whole and thinking of how we are going to be remembered is is character. It's integrity. It's not so much the great things that we do, but it's who we are inside of us. And that kind of leads me to, to my next point. Legacy is defined in the little things of life. Luke chapter 16, verse 10, Jesus said, He that is faithful in that which is least is faithful also in much. And he that is unjust in the least is unjust also in much. Matthew 25, Jesus said again, uh, the parable of the, the ten talents. His Lord said unto him, Well done, good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things, I will make thee ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of my Lord. So the little things of life are important. And I, I think this is especially important for you to remember as young people. You're in a crucial age, time of your lives, when you are, you are forming who you are going to be. And so it's important that you think about your choices, your habits that you are forming the seemingly small things of life. We have examples of of legacies in the scriptures where we remember people simply for one little act that they have done. The example of, of a little boy who gave his lunch for Jesus and Jesus took those those two fishes and five loaves and he multiplied it and he performed this incredible miracle one boy, that's all we know. That's all we know about him. He was willing to give his lunch to Jesus. We have the example of the, the Israelite captive, the maid, Naaman's maid, Naaman, Naaman's, Captain Naaman's slave girl that he had taken from her parents, likely. She told Naaman about the prophet who could heal him from his leprosy. That's what we remember her for in the scriptures. We have the example of Mary who washed, who anointed Jesus' feet. She broke that bottle of expensive perfume, just a small act of kindness. And yet Jesus said, because you have done this, wherever this gospel is preached throughout the world, this is going to be spoken of a a lasting legacy. One little act. So the small things in life are important. 
You know, as I was uh, talking to my wife last night a little bit about what I was going to preach about, and we started talking about what we want to be remembered for when we die a little bit. And I didn't, Ruthie, I didn't ask you if I can say this. Sometimes it's, I guess sometimes it's better to ask forgiveness than ask permission. But she told me, she said, I want to be remembered as being a good mother to my children. You know, in the world's eyes, that's not much. That that doesn't really count. You know, I think that's one of the most noble things that you could be remembered for. And I think every one of us as parents should have that desire. So the little things are important. And I thought about Jimmy Carter. I was reading a little bit about him lately. He's still living today. He's 99 years old. He was the president of the United States of America. Jimmy Carter and his wife Rosalind just this year celebrated their 77th wedding anniversary. You know, Jimmy, Jimmy Carter taught Sunday school for many years in his little church in Georgia. His presidency isn't necessarily, he's not really considered to be a very good president by historians. But you know, I believe when Jimmy Carter stands before God, being faithful to one woman all of his life is going to be much more important to God than anything that he has done as a president of the United States. Um, I know that we don't know where Jimmy Carter stands with God. We're only... We're only going by, he did say as president, he said, it is, uh, I should have wrote it down. He said that it is is Jesus Christ who's the driving force of my life, I believe is the words that he said. And so I think we can can give him credit for that. You know, his, his eternal destiny lies with God, but I think he's a good example of somebody uh, who was, who, who knows that power and fame and the great things in life are not necessarily the things that need to define your legacy. So we think about this whole idea of what we'll be remembered for when we die. Perhaps we should think it more as what is God going to remember us for rather than what other people are going to remember for who are we going to be when we stand before God what God thinks is most important and when that is our focus in life when we are concerned about honoring God and about following him with all of our hearts then we really don't need to be that concerned about the legacy that we're going to leave because it will be 
a legacy that is right and good and that makes an impact in the generations after us. A legacy that lasts eternally, you know, is, is very different for the child of God from the legacy of the, of the man or woman who is, who is trying to create and cement a legacy in this world. It's, it's that idea of laying up treasure in heaven. It's being connected to the life, as Don said this morning. In closing, I'd like to, to read this poem, one of my favorite poems, a familiar one. Tell me not in mournful numbers, life is but an empty dream, for the soul is dead that slumbers, and things are not what they seem. Life is real, life is earnest, and the grave is not its goal. Dust thou art to dust returnest, was not spoken of the soul. Not enjoyment and not sorrow is our destined end of what or way, but to act that each tomorrow finds us further than today. Art is long and time is fleeting, and our hearts, though stout and brave, still like muffled drums are beating, funeral marches to the grave. In the world's broad field of battle, in the bivouac of life, be not like dumb, driven cattle. Be a hero in the strife. Trust no future, however pleasant. Let the dead past bury its dead. Act, act in the living present. Heart within and God or head. Here's the verses that I really want. Lives of great men all remind us we can make our lives sublime and departing leave behind us footprints on the sands of time. Footprints that perhaps another, sailing o'er life's solemn main, a forlorn and shipwrecked brother, seeing shall take heart again. Let us then be up and doing with a heart for any fate, still achieving, still pursuing, learn to labor and to wait. Let's kneel for prayer.